I'm Ashley C. Ford, and this is Fortune Favors the Bold, a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. In the summer of 2007, Christine Sanders' life was pretty hectic. She was working as a teacher in a small town in Northern California, and she had just decided to go back to school full-time. Oh, and she was also raising four- and seven-year-old boys. So I was having to commute every single day, twice a day, back and forth to school, coming home, taking care of the kids, putting them to bed, going back to school, staying up late at night to do homework. And, you know, I think I was taking 22 units at the time. Things were intense. It was one of those times when everything was precariously balanced and working. But if just one thing went out of whack, it would derail everything else. So one day, amid the controlled chaos, Christine gets a call. One like millions of Americans get every year. The kind that takes a second to settle in. It came while she was cooking grilled cheese sandwiches. They said that I had missed a payment on my credit card. Christine was confused. In all that was going on, had she forgotten to pay the bill on one of her cards? Then she realized she didn't even own the brand of credit card they were talking about. And I was thinking, what is going on? So then they told me that the balance was almost $6,000. She felt sick to her stomach. She hung up the phone and tried to figure out what was even happening. And she realized that thing you hear about happening to other people all the time, it had just happened to her. Identity theft. I just remember calling my dad when I found out and crying and saying, how, how am I going to deal with this? There's no way. I just, I have so many other things going on. I can't figure this out. Christine contacted the creditor's fraud department. And after a lot of back and forth and a whole lot of paperwork, she was able to prove it wasn't her who spent that $6,000. Problem solved, right? Wrong. It wasn't just the one card. Soon she learned that there were lines of credit under her name at other department stores, at clothing stores, at the phone company. It just, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The thief even got into her checking account. It was just unbelievable. It made me feel, you know, almost violated in a way. In between school, work, kids, life, Christine played whack-a-mole. Before she could finish clearing her name in one account, she'd hear from a new one. She filed police reports and signed affidavits, sent copies of her birth certificate to corporate headquarters, to law enforcement. Christine was spending hours that she didn't have trying to do something that, in theory, should be easy. Prove she was Christine. And that whole time, this other person was doing something that seems like it should be hard. Prove that they were Christine. She ended up getting accounts through cable companies and ordering supplies like satellite receivers and things, all using my information. And then I found out that she had a driver's license created in my name. This thief was able to get a government-issued ID saying she was Christine Sanders. That's wild. And while the thief eventually did get caught, this went on for five 
years. Christine working overtime to prove her identity. Now, if it hasn't happened to you, you've probably heard a story like Christine's before. It happened to me back in college. Someone got into my checking account, spent all my money, and made it to where no banks would give me a checking account for years. As I said, identity theft is pretty common in the U.S. Each year, more than 10 million people are victims of some form of it. So this problem of proving you are who you say you are, it's more urgent than it's ever been. And to fix it, countries are increasingly looking to digital solutions. And that's what this episode is about, the future of digital identity what it means to prove we are who we say we are, and how it can change our lives. We use ID all the time. Maybe you use a driver's license to prove you're old enough to buy beer. You might have a pin to use at your bank. You probably have a bunch of passwords for different websites and social media accounts. But we don't really think about ID until something goes wrong. Today, we'll look around the world and see how other countries are innovating when it comes to digital ID and are way ahead of the U.S. in that regard. And we'll hear about how, in some places, just having the ability to identify yourself at all is transforming societies. Vaijianti Desai is the program manager for the World Bank Group's Identification for Development Initiative, also known as ID4D. I was born here in the United States where birth registration is universal, where there's things like social security numbers. So that's an official form of identification that you and I have. But, you know, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa, 40% of births are left unregistered. So people don't have those official forms of documentation and are unable to necessarily prove who they are. ID4D battles extreme poverty throughout the globe. And they do it not through donations or food aid, but by working with governments to give people a legal ID. And here's what we mean when we say legal ID. An official record issued by an authority that is unique to only you and can be used to prove you are the person you say you are. In most countries, if you don't have an ID, you can't own land or have a bank account or get any government help. If you're accused of a crime, how do you prove you didn't do it if you can't even prove who you are? An ID is a lifeline. The World Bank Group believes that, especially in some of the poorest areas of the world, an ID, like a birth certificate, can unlock the most necessary doors. Inclusion and access to services, such as opening up a bank account, education, tracking childhood vaccinations, empowering women. One of ID4D's projects is in Uganda. Uganda began its national ID program in 2015. It's still in the early stages, but it's already having major impact. Uganda's neighbored by five other countries. So if you're doing business there, you're likely going to have to work across borders but it's illegal to cross the border without an ID. And before 2015, the process to get one was costly and time-consuming. Life was so hard, mainly for us as traders, because we wanted to cross over to Kenya all the time. 
and you want to do business, but nobody could trust you because you could not be identified. This is from a video produced by ID40. The woman speaking is named Mariam Babu. Mariam sells eggs, and she often needs to travel from Uganda to Kenya. But for years, she wasn't able to afford an ID, and so she had to smuggle the eggs across the border. I felt I was not secured because it was risky. You might be raped. The thugs might steal your goods. But now we use national IDs and cross over to Kenya because it has simplified. Now Mariam has an ID, a physical card that is checked against a digital system. It's pretty basic, but it's changed everything about her life. Mariam's ID means that she was able to open up a bank account, which means she doesn't have to transact in cash, which means she's not carrying large amounts of money around, which means her daily life is safer and more secure. Her business is legitimate now. She can even qualify for loans. ID4D is helping monitor Uganda's ID program to see what is and isn't working. And their research shows that ID has changed lives in Uganda. And this is really just the beginning. Programs like the World Bank's ID4D are part of a larger global movement to bring digital IDs to the developing world. After the break, we'll hear more about that movement. And we'll meet someone who saw digital ID totally transform his country while he was president. You're listening to Fortune Favors the Bold, brought to you by MasterCard. Proving that we are who we say we are online requires lots of sharing. Sharing our address, birthday, mother's maiden name, and so much more. MasterCard wants to keep their customers' information safe and secure. So they hired this guy to lead the charge. I'm uh, Ron Green. I'm the chief security officer here at MasterCard. I'm responsible for all of the cyber protection and the uh, physical protection for MasterCard. Fun fact, Ron used to be a special agent in the Secret Service, so he knows a thing or two about security. One of the products that MasterCard offers to all U.S. cardholders is called ID Theft Alerts. It's a free service you just have to enroll in. And then, if MasterCard detects any personal information being bought or sold online, like a password or a social security number, you get an email alert. ID theft alerts have your back, but Ron stresses that there are some simple things you can do to stay safe online too. Security is everybody's responsibility. It is your responsibility at your own home. No one's gonna look out for your personal life like you are. Ron believes in the importance of proper internet hygiene. This includes not clicking on links and suspicious-looking emails. They could infect your computer. Activating multi-factor authentication on as many accounts as possible. And using public Wi-Fi with caution. Seriously. You should have an idea of where it is that you're using public Wi-Fi. We've seen a number of attacks, like at airports. Attackers make it look like, you know, a free airport uh, Wi-Fi service. Um, when, you know, in fact, they're acting as a man in the middle for you. To learn more about ID theft alerts and what you can do to protect your identity online, visit newsroom.mastercard.com. That's newsroom.mastercard.com.
And we're back. Before the break, we heard how the World Bank is one of many organizations working to bring digital IDs to the developing world. This movement is gaining support in the private sector, too. Microsoft is one of the companies working to develop better technology around digital ID. Alex Simons is the Director of Program Management at Microsoft's Digital Identity Division. We can actually create ways for people to, essentially for free, get digital identities that they control all of the information in and that they can then use to prove who they are and where they were born and all those kinds of things that you need to be able to essentially run a modern economy and become part of the community. Alex has a vision for the future of digital ID. It will use unique identifiers like biometric data, so fingerprints, facial recognition, retina scans. And it will be really secure, like military-level encryption. It'll be so seamless, you won't even have to think about it. And you won't have to remember any passwords. We're going to get to the point where an awful lot of today's complexity of, okay, which username and password did I use? How do I recover the one I forgot? How do I keep track of all those? Those are going to be things of the past pretty quickly. Alex is optimistic about the future of digital ID. And while some places in the world have a long way to go to become digitized, there are other places where it's already happening. There's a famous quote about how the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed, right? The future is here for those experiences. It's just that the whole world hasn't seen them yet. Maybe the closest any countries come to being in this future is Estonia. In Estonia, you can do everything online. Well, with a couple exceptions. The first is get married. You have to show up for that. The second is getting divorced. That's Tomas Ilves, Estonia's president from 2006 to 2016. He says there is one other thing. You also can't transfer real estate online. But that's it. Everything else, voting, taxes, registering your car, it can all be done online. Estonia is a tiny former Soviet country bordered by the Baltic Sea and Russia. And it's the little country that could. Go digital. They've arguably gone the farthest, the fastest of anyone. And that's partly because of Ilves, who, throughout his entire political career, has made getting Estonia up to date, technologically, a driving force. Ilves almost always wears a bow tie. He speaks slowly and thoughtfully, and he punctuates his speech with sighs and deep breaths. Get him going on digital ID, though, and he might not stop. It's not simply having a strong identity system. You do need to have the right architecture. And we have a distributed data exchange layer, which means that everything is connected to everything, and every interaction is verified or authenticated. After the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991, only half of Estonian citizens even had a phone line. So Estonia had some catching up to do. In 2002, they introduced a digital ID card, a mandatory physical card with digital information embedded on it, like a chip. It works kind of like a bank card. When you swipe a bank card, the magnetic strip says who you are and which bank it's attached to. The machine pings that company, the company verifies you can make the purchase, and your purchase goes through. In Estonia, your ID card does the same thing, but it can talk to way more than your bank. Healthcare, voting, public safety, 
All these services are incredibly efficient. The card is all you need to prove you're you. One effect of this is a lot less bureaucracy, which has a big economic impact. It's hard to quantify digitization's exact impact on Estonia's overall economic health, but since digital ID was instituted, the country's GDP has nearly quadrupled. A year ago, Ilvis and his family moved from Estonia to sunny California, where he's a visiting distinguished fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, in the heart of Silicon Valley. He says he can't help but notice that some things that are really simple in Estonia uh, aren't as smooth in the States, like when he had to enroll his teenage daughter in school. I had to prove I lived here with a copy of my electricity bill. I just don't think that's a very secure form of, uh, of identity, but apparently that's what was required. But I had to sign two papers that would allow her to take a regular English class, and one of them I had to drop off in the school itself, and the other one at the office of the school district. So I drove the two miles to go there, and then I get there with my paper, signed paper, and then there's a line, a long line. I, stand, I say, well, I just have to drop off a piece of paper, and the last person in the line says, we all just have to drop off a piece of paper. And I said, why? He said, well, they have to make a photocopy of it. I'm having now spent a year here, I am aghast at the contrast between being at the heart of digital uh, innovation in Silicon Valley, and at the same time how primitive, how paper-bound uh, life is. I asked Ilves why. When so many digital innovations come out of the U.S., we're so behind on digital ID, so paper-bound. One reason, he says, is just our size. Estonia's population is about the same as San Diego's. So implementing digital ID in the entire U.S. would be a major scaling up. He believes that for the U.S., starting down the path to digital identity may be the hardest part. The problem more broadly is that there is such a poor understanding of the digital world on the part of policymakers and lawmakers. If we want to be more like Estonia... Our politicians need to better understand what digital ID is and what it can do. Ilvis predicts that it won't happen all at once. In fact, what I think will probably happen eventually is that some states will go for a strong digital identity and then others will follow suit. Imagine your days of filling out paper forms disappearing. Imagine your days of taking 20 minutes at the doctor's office, filling out six forms worth of information that you've filled out already 60,000 other times in your life. Imagine that ending. Alec Ross is a tech policy expert and author of The Industries of the Future. He wants to make the U.S. more like Estonia. Full disclosure, Alec was selected to share his views because he spent his career studying technology's impact on policy. Currently, Alec is also running for the Democratic nomination for governor in Maryland. We want to make clear that neither Gimlet nor MasterCard endorse him or any candidate in this political contest. Alec studies this stuff because he believes that digital ID is about more than just convenience. 
He believes digital ID can change lives, especially for people with less money. For me, the biggest problem this is solving goes to the soul-crushing amount of time that predominantly low-income people spend accessing government services. Uh, the very caricature of a low-income individual, white, black, or brown, standing in the government line is real. And in the year 2018, that should be something out of history books, but it is real. And if you think about it, there's nothing more oppressive than taking people's time. Alec believes digital ID has the potential to make a large-scale positive change in the U.S. But one hurdle to a new system might be Americans' fears about security. Even in Estonia, things aren't perfect. In 2017, researchers identified a security vulnerability in their ID system that affected a lot of the population. Those ID holders weren't able to use their IDs until they got their cards updated. It was a simple fix, and no one appears to have been hacked. But even the world's most advanced e-state has to be vigilant about security. So it comes as no surprise that some Americans might not feel comfortable with all of our identifying information being stored in just one place. I think that there are legitimate questions that ought to be asked and answered. I think the technology is in place today to do secure digital identity. Uh, you know, I think that first we ought to look at it in contrast with what's in place right now, which, you know, with all due respect, I don't think that driver's licenses and social security numbers are necessarily the hallmark of secure identity. So I actually think that, you know, we shouldn't romanticize the security of the paper world. People are working on increasing the security of identities every day, like Alex Simons from Microsoft, who we heard from earlier. You're starting to see this kind of alignment around the idea that my device can store a secure digital identity for me, and then I can use that digital identity to prove who I am to a whole bunch of different web services. Uh, and that's a great place to be at because now that's a very, very nice user experience. But it's also super secure and gets rid of the risks of like password phishing and things like that. In just the next couple years, Alex foresees a world in which using your digital ID for social media, banking, voting is super easy. You won't have to worry about remembering 50 passwords or photocopying your social security card or using your first pet's name as a security question. It's super exciting. I mean, I come in every day and, and get to work on these things that I know that over the course of the next 6, 12, and 18 months are going to make the world much, much easier and much more secure. Alex thinks that in the near future, we'll see different countries implement digital identity solutions that are the right fit for their culture. And we don't know yet what the best fit for the U.S. will be. But as the world continues to be more and more online, what's certain is the need to prove who we are will only continue to grow. Another certainty? Digital identity is already changing people's lives. In the developing world, it's much more than a way to prevent fraud or streamline existing bureaucracies. It's giving people a leg up by giving them something many never had before, proof that they exist. 
And that seems a lot less like a privilege and more like a right. Fortune Favors the Bold is a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Matt Schiltz, Caitlin Baguki, Aluakimi Aladisui, Carrie Ann Thomas, and Julia Batero. Production assistance from Ben Kiebrick. Nazanin Rafsajani is our creative director, and Sarah Geis is our editor. Katherine Anderson mixed this episode. Technical direction from Zach Schmidt. What do you think of the show so far? Let us know. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford, and Fortune Favors the Bold will be back next week.